All right, well, let's say that uh, you are a golfer. You're an avid golfer. You love golf, right? You love golf. You, you know, buy golf magazines. You get instructional golf videos. You maybe subscribe to the Golf Channel app. And a fun afternoon for you is um, doing what would put many of us to sleep, watching golf on TV. Anyone, right? But if you're a golfer, that's your thing, right? That's your thing. That's your deal. And um, one day, you get a letter to your home, a letter that is um, from Tiger Woods, and he is offering to fly you out to Pebble Beach and give you tips on how to improve your golf game. If that was your thing, do you think you'd take him up on it? Right? Yeah, yeah, it'd be a no-brainer. You'd totally go for it. This is an opportunity to receive top-flight instruction from the world's greatest master in the area, or one of the world's greatest masters in the area of your deepest passion if you're somebody who loves golf. So imagine what it would be for you, what the thing you would love to have an expert. If you're a finance person, maybe, you know, Warren Buffett is going to come help you with investing and give you some money for it. If you're a if it's the beginning of the year and, and you're ready to get in shape and maybe you even enjoy working out, maybe somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, would be your workout buddy. He's going to come and whip you into shape or maybe wives, um, even better, whip your husband into shape, right? So Heidi's been wishing and hoping, maybe, maybe, right? But if that happens, if that happens, it'd be a no-brainer, right? Somebody who's a master at something offers to walk alongside to help or to coach you. It's a can't-miss deal. You'd take him up on it, right? And why I bring this up is that um, early in Jesus' ministry, his disciples had, were kind of new to following him, and they were learning, and they'd been watching him very closely, and they observed something about him, and that was that he was a master of praying. You ever been around somebody who connects to God's heart when they pray? Not in a religious flowery way where they use all the King James language and it's stuff that you go, I don't really talk like that. I mean, some people, you know, that's how they pray. It's fine. It's good. Um, But have you ever just been with somebody and they pray and they connect to the heart of Jesus? I've had that happen with Jim Selland over here. I've had that happen with some different people in the room here. And I can think of other people that I have heard pray and I know that they are close to the heart of God. I I love the phrase, um, it seems like they are at home with God. They know God. It doesn't mean they don't have any problems. It doesn't mean they have all the answers, but when they pray, um, you may know somebody that it seems like they're just at home with God. And I believe that the disciples watched Jesus pray, and that's the feeling that they got, that, that, that they had a sense and knew that he was at home with God. And if you were to ask the disciples, hey, what's his secret to success and all the strength and power that he walks in? How does he live this amazing life? I'm pretty sure that they would give you a one-word answer. How does he do it? Prayer. It's prayer, right? See, nobody ever prayed quite like Jesus. (laughs) It marked his life. And when they saw that, they wanted it. It sparked in their heart a desire to pray that wasn't based on shame or shoulds or you ought to or feeling guilty or bad because you don't pray enough. No, 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 no. They were invited because they wanted what they saw him displaying. And so they, they, they were watching him in Luke 11. It doesn't say which disciple makes this request or asks him, but they were watching Jesus in Luke 11, and they wanted to learn from Jesus how to pray. And in our series, we too want to learn from Jesus like they did how to pray. That's what our goal is in this series, to learn from Jesus how to pray so that we can be connected to his heart. And uh, in Luke 11, 
The disciples are watching Jesus, and they're wondering, how can we learn to pray like Jesus? How can we do that? And one of them finally says, Lord, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus was more than delighted to teach them how to pray because he didn't want their prayer life to just flounder around. He was waiting for them to enroll in the school of prayer. And I believe that Jesus will do that same thing for you and me over these next couple of months um, as we unpack the Lord's Prayer. And we learn to pray like Jesus. But... If we want to learn to pray like Jesus, if we want Jesus to do for us what he did for, modeled, and taught his disciples to do, we're going to have to ask him. Like personally, each one of us ourselves are going to have that same request that his disciples did. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Will you make that your prayer over the next couple of months? As this year begins, whatever your goals are, whatever your resolutions are, I don't do resolutions anymore because I'm terrible at them. Um, I need one less thing to suck at, so I don't do resolutions, all right? But it's a pretty good thing at the beginning of a year to say, Lord, would you teach me to pray? Would you teach me, would you teach me to pray? And more than just that quick request, then we need to carve out some time. Because he will teach us. He's just waiting to teach us, but we have to practice it. Otherwise, if I just preach, you know, the next, I don't know, six, eight weeks between me and Jim and Heidi, and if we just preach this, it's just going to be a bunch of words, and you'll have a bunch of knowledge, um, which is, I guess, fine, but that's not what we're hoping for. What you and I have an opportunity to do is to enter in to the school of prayer to learn and go deeper and learn to pray from Jesus, the master of prayer. And when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we're not just looking at a prayer that we recite, kind of monotone, like sometimes you hear, because, oh, we know this prayer and we pray it through monotone. Um, this is a pattern of praying that helps us to engage and connect with the heart of God. This is a pattern of praying also which has gone back for 2,000 years, prayed by all the great saints, followers of Jesus around the world and all through history. And it was taught to all of them, all of us, by Jesus himself. And so starting this morning here at Hope Covenant Church, class is in session. Um, and I'm going to ask that you and I join Jesus in the school of prayer. I'm going to be learning, you'll be learning, we'll be learning together, but we want to enroll in the school of prayer, and we are going to receive instruction from Jesus, who's the master of prayer through his scripture, through his words, through his prayer in the Bible. And again, um, I mentioned earlier in the opening that I do sense that God has called us to be a people of prayer and to really focus on that as this year begins. And so Sunday morning, this will be classroom. Wednesday night, for those of you that will join us Wednesday night and want to go even deeper, uh, it will be a school of prayer. And to launch out kind of our beginning of the year and our, our prayer focus, um, what I want to do is have us say the Lord's Prayer together. But before we do that, some of you maybe grew up in traditions where they did corporate congregational readings um, and some of you, like me, it was something that I didn't do until much later. But it seems like there was one primary rule, um, at least, like, I'll be honest, the first places that I did these congregational readings, it was terrible, right? It was really awful. It was not, 
inspiring or engaging at all. It didn't feel like us together. Um, it seemed like there was an unwritten rule, at least where I was, um, and the unwritten rule was this. When you do these readings, read in an expressionless monotone without any hint of emotion, right? Everybody ever been to a place where that's how the readings happen? So let's not do that. Let's avoid that today. Um, one pastor I was uh, reading said, at my church, we'd go so slow. That people's minds would just wander all over the place. He said, it, we could have been reading from the phone book for all it mattered. Like all the excitement in the words of scripture on the screen were just kind of, all the life was sucked out of it, right? Um, he said if there had been an emergency announcement flashed up on the screen that they had to read as a congregation, they would have read it out loud like this. The building is on fire. Lo, we must run for our lives, right? So... Let's not do that, okay? Here at Hope, we're going to do better than that. We're going to read it with, uh, with heart and with feeling. And I think it's important to pray these words together sometimes because the beginning of the prayer is our Father, right? So it's a together thing that's intended at least sometimes to be read and prayed together. So let's engage our hearts as we now stand together. We'll just stand for the reading of this prayer. And let's pray as Jesus taught us to, one quick note, for some of you, we'll get to the forgive us our trespasses is what you might be familiar with in the covenants. Um, and because one version of the prayer uses uh, forgive us our sins, that's the one we go with because, and it makes sense to me because like, I haven't trespassed. I haven't been on somebody else's property. Anybody, right? Like, so it makes a little more sense to me, the original intent of the prayer. So all together now, let's pray as Jesus taught us to. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, as you're seated, look at somebody nearby you and say, you prayed great. So, right, nicely done, y'all. Now, during this series on prayer, what we're hoping, what we're aiming at is that we would become more masters of prayer, and we're going to master it together, and I'm going to teach on this and engage with you in learning myself as well. But what I want to challenge us to do is to make this a part of our daily life, um, to pray this prayer uh, in our life, in our week. Um, some of you are like, yes, I'll do it every single day. Um, others of you, make, just include it, sprinkle it through. But, but here, here's the deal. Um, some weeks we're going to have some tools that will help you as you do this. But what I want to give you this week and how you can pray this as the week goes on is just to pray it line by line, right? Just pray, our Father, and then pause and think about that for a while, right? And pray into that. And then, uh, who art in heaven, um, hallowed be thy name. Just pray through what that could mean or does mean. And, just, and what we're going to do is just, if you just pray that line by line, um, if you'll do that, right? And let Jesus be your teacher in prayer. Let him be your teacher. Let him be our teacher in the prayer. But if we will do that, and if you'll sign on so that we can learn together here on Sunday morning... Uh, and some on Wednesday nights as well, if you will practice his prayer, um, learning from him as you do this in a daily way, 
I can guarantee you that a couple months from now, you will pray differently than you do today. If you and I engage in this over the next couple months, we will pray differently than we do right now. We really, really will. And so today and next week, I'm going to give us kind of intro, very introductory kinds of stuff. Um, uh, Some weeks we're going to go a lot deeper with some of these other phrases. But but I want to start with some introductory stuff here. Some of the basics um, as we learn from Jesus. And I, and I want to launch into this part of the message by asking a questions. And, and I'd like a, an honest show of hands on this one from those of you that are uh, feeling honest and, and willing here. Um, but how many of you ever feel guilty about your prayer life? Yeah, I, that's, I, that's me, right? Okay. Um, um, I, I think actually the truth is that many of us, maybe even most of us, have problems when it comes to prayer. And I think primarily, at least in the outset, we have a who problem. We have a who problem. We get confused about who, the nature of the person that we are praying to when we pray, because oftentimes we aren't really sure what God is like, right? People think about God being angry with them or disappointed with them. And this is a who problem that happens when we want to become masters of prayer. So there's the who problem. There's also the where problem. Where is God located? I mean, it says, uh, God who art in heaven. What? Like, that sounds like God is very, very far away. And we'll get to that next week, what that actually means. But if we think about God, you know, being out there way off in heaven, uh, we might tend to think of God being very far away. And then we think we've got to do something to try to, you know, Get closer to him. Um, we'll look deeper at that. But that's a where problem. And that where problem can keep us from prayer. So there's a who problem. There's a where problem. And then there's a what problem. Because we're not really sure what we're supposed to pray about. When we do finally get around to praying, we're not sure what God might be interested in or what we're supposed to be saying to him. So there's the who, the what, the where problem. Uh, the who, the where, and the what problems, right? These are very basic issues. And so we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about these three problems. Again, this week, what we'll do is we'll just get to the who problem, the who addressing piece. And then next week, we'll get to where he is and what to pray about. So first of all, who, who we pray to. Jesus begins this prayer with a particular focus. He says, our father, right? So we're praying to our father. And, and, and I want to point out that the idea I believe here is to help us to focus. It points us at a place to focus. Where do we focus when we come to pray? We focus on our father. Now it's important for us to have a focus because I think um, many of us, maybe especially me, But maybe you can relate. Um, Our mind, anybody, their mind tend to wander during prayer, right? (laughs) Yeah, our minds just kind of wander. I start praying, my mind wanders all over the place. Now, psychologists call this mind-wandering thing uh, mindlessness, right? Anybody here experience mindlessness ever? Hello? Right, I'm completely ADD. And uh, for some of us, you know, for some of you, that mindlessness is maybe something you have from time to time. And for others like me, mindlessness, that's a way of life, okay? So, (laughs) you know, we find ourselves sort of floating off on autopilot all over the place, mindlessness. And, and in fact, I've often thought about starting a support group for this mindlessness stuff, but then I just get distracted, you know? And <laughs> I'm glad you guys got that joke, right? <laughs> Laura, Michael explained it to you on the way home. Okay, um, 
But let me give you an example of mindlessness. Ready? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to re- respond really quick right away. Let's see how sharp you are today, okay? A tree that grows from an acorn is called an oak. Yes, the dark vapor that rises from fire is called smoke. The sound a frog makes is a The white of an egg is called a Oh, the white of an ah. Uh, right? See, that's just kind of Mindlessness, I think it affects all of us from time to time. Um, John Ortberg, who I learned a lot from, and him using lots of resources from him, the things that he's pointed to um, in this series, uh, he says this. He says, mindlessness, in fact, is one of the biggest obstacles to prayer. Mindlessness, which just got me thinking about that, right? It's like, wow, one of the biggest obstacles. And I just started thinking through that. And, and it made me think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, the phrase where Jesus is telling his disciples as he's teaching them to pray, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, but don't keep babbling, right? He says the pagans are offering what I'll throw the word in, mindless prayers. He says they use vain repetition. They just rattle words off just to say a bunch of words. Don't pray like that. That's, that's mindless. And I think, not just for people that don't know Christ, I think for us as Christians, we can also really quickly have our prayer time turn into a worry time. Like, so I, I mean to come to God and pray, but suddenly I'm just kind of worrying silently or worrying out loud. Um, I mean, this happens to me where sometimes I'm there trying to pray, and pretty soon, instead of praying, I realize I'm thinking to myself, and I'm really just kind of worrying, and suddenly it's a silent monologue about all the stuff I'm worrying about, and there's not actual conversation, because prayer, we'll get to in another week, is intended to be a, we talk and we listen to what God might have to say, but we can really quickly, and I can really quickly just start with wanting to pray, and instead I just worry out loud. I wander out of the prayer lane and I go into the mindless worrying lane. And um, again, I know this is very introductory for some of you, but, but at the beginning of prayer, um, what I need to do, what we need to do to actually pray is to stop our minds from all the wandering and focus on the fact that we are really with someone. We are with some. One. See, Jesus teaches us begin focus by saying, Our Father. Our Father. Set all that stuff aside. It's our Father. That's why we start and focus right there. Now, even that word, that line, many have said that this is the most unique opening the most unique opening line in, in the history of prayer when Jesus uses the name, our Father. Think about names, right? When we use a name, you make a statement about the nature of the relationship that you have with another person. That's why names are so powerful. A name expresses the relationship that you have, right? It's acknowledging there's a relational context when we use a name, and it can't even show us how much closeness in that relationship exists, right? So, for instance, if it's a fairly formal relationship, somebody that's kind of, you know, formal, we don't really know them that well, it's, oh, hello, Mr. or Mrs. Johnson, right? That's a level of knowing. It's a name. Um, maybe if it's a friend, though, you'll call that, you know, person by their 
first name. Hey, Mike, right? Um, or if it's a real close friend, you might have a nickname, and I wish I had time because I could tell you all kinds of the goofy, stupid nicknames that my friends have for me. Some of them I probably couldn't say from up here, but without a lot of explanation. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a nickname, right? Um, one of the weird nicknames I had at my church in Minnesota, I can't even remember where it came from, but the nickname was, um, that somebody gave me was Julio Douglasius. <laughs> I must have sang a Julio Iglesias song to be funny somewhere. And then it got shortened down to my nickname was just Julio, right? So people that didn't know were like, he's really white. Why? He, there's no Latin in that guy at all. Why, why is he Julio, right? So nicknames, though, it's just kind of affectionate. Um, Heidi and I have our fifth anniversary coming up in two weeks. She gets a crown, I think, on year five um, or more jewels in your crown, something. Um, but when we hadn't even been married two years, I think we were here, we were doing a refugee apartment somewhere in that zone, right? Um, so we're more newlyweds, and Stacy and Bruce uh, were helping us, and some other people, we were resettling a refugee family on the other side of town, and the people of Hope were so generous, and I think you guys were a part of that over here as well, a bunch of people were. So, um, but we just, you know, we were like talking and carrying stuff in, and I was like, hey, babe. So we were calling each other babe. Like, that was our nickname, back and forth. Hey, babe, hey, babe. And, and uh, first service, I joked with Bruce and Stacy that, um, you know, they got, they started making fun of us because they don't really like each other. So we, uh, <laughs> they laughed. Don't worry, they laughed, they laughed. But, you know, you have these affectionate nicknames, right? I, I love in Latin culture, um, uh, mi amor, right? My love, mi amor, I love. That's such a great affectionate name that you would call someone close to you or mijo. I love that. I think that's so fantastic. And what it does is it expresses there's a uniquely close relationship right here. That's the name right there. Um, and also in families, there are special names that are unique to the relationship. I only have one person in this earth that calls me father or dad, right? And, and every single time Noah says that word, that name, dad, it gets my attention really quick because there is a uniquely deep relationship that's extremely strong because of the father, son, dad, kid relationship. And, and so the one who speaks that word, dad, to me, um, Everything he says after that, it gets my attention, right? Any requests he makes are in the context of being his dad. Any confession he has to make, anything else that he says that takes place within the context of our relationship that's expressed by that one word, father, is showing some definition. And so Jesus called God father. Father. Now, there were records in the Old Testament of people using the image of God to just, uh, of a father to describe God. It was rare, but it had happened before. But there is no record in the Old Testament at all of anyone ever coming to God in prayer and addressing him as father until Jesus did. And when he does, Jesus uses an Aramaic word, and in that language, he uses the word Abba. We sing the song here sometimes, Abba, I belong to you. Abba is a very tender word, very tender, very unique, very close. Little children would use it, so kind of like daddy, but also adults would use it as a term of affection toward their own father. It was very tender, full of affection. And there's no record 
of anyone coming to God in prayer and calling him that until Jesus. Here's what's so cool. Not only did Jesus do it, but he invites you and I to call God Father as well. That would have blown the minds of everyone there that they too can call God Father, our Father, Daddy, Abba. So we're supposed to start, focus, the name, the relationship. He's our Father. That's where we start. But let me just confess that oftentimes, many of us come to prayer, myself included, and when we stop to pray, we go, okay. All right, our first thoughts are something like, you know, maybe some of us go, okay, here we go. Wow, you know, I really haven't prayed enough. Man, I feel really guilty now that I stopped to pray over the prayerlessness in my life, right? Or some of us, we try to pray and we go, I don't think this is going to do any good. I mean, I don't even have enough time to pray right or adequately or... I don't even know how to pray, right? So what am I even bothering for? This isn't going to work. When those thoughts come, and they come fairly commonly to us because I think they're a really easy weapon of the enemy to keep you from prayer. It's just that common, right? He knows it works. (laughs) I believe most often that's something from the enemy, right? Guilt and shame um, are two different things, and I want to talk about shame. And when you feel deficient because you haven't been praying enough or praying well enough, all that stuff, that's a tool of the enemy. He wants to keep you from prayer, so he uses that stuff and just kind of lobs all these thoughts in there. He's going to lob them in there because maybe something will work. Maybe some, and it, it does work when we let it stop us from praying. When I just feel deficient, so I don't even bother Or like, I haven't done it in a long time, so why start today? Any of those things. Friends, we have to be alert and name it when it happens that that shame is from the enemy. We don't let the enemy influence us like that. We recognize it, and we set that aside. We remember that we come to our Father. That's our focus. Not how we haven't done it well, or we're deficient, or God's disappointed in us. No, 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 no. He's our Father who loves us. We get in touch with his heart. And when we say to him, Father, Father, and we say his name, I believe that touches his heart. I believe it touches his heart. I I imagine God hearing you and me speak his name. And when he hears you speak his name, he says, this is my son. (laughs) This is my daughter. I imagine him saying, and just put your name in here, but him saying, Tanya, I love it when you call me Father. I love it when you set aside time to speak with me about whatever is on your heart. Maybe what we have to say to each other will involve sorrow. Maybe it will be about joyful things. Maybe you'll want to express thanks. Maybe you'll need to confess. And friends, I just, again, I imagine God saying, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter because once we're face-to-face, We'll get around to everything we need to. I'll make sure about that. But again, I hear him speak. Just hear him speak your name. Say, I love these moments when you come to me in prayer, and I'm so glad to be connected to you. I'm so glad to be with you. Friends, that's how our heart warms to that connection with our Father. 
realizing that's his posture towards us. That's what his posture is. Put all the shame aside. We show up, we focus. He knows we're distracted. We focus, we say, Father. We enter in, Father, Father. See, Jesus, the master of prayer, teaches us, I believe, to start with these words, our Father, because that's the who of prayer. That's the who. We start with the who, our Father. Now, real quick sidebar here. Just because we're talking about the who of prayer, people often say, well, who are we supposed to pray to when we pray to God? Do we pray to God? Just dear God. Um, do we pray to the Father? Do we pray to Jesus? Or do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Do we pray Lord Jesus? Do we pray Lord God? Like, who do we pray to? And we could go deeper on which aspect of the Trinity um, is more engaged or seems more forward-facing towards different elements. But here's my simple answer to that. Do we pray to the Father, to Jesus, to Holy Spirit? Which one? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he just wants you to come to him. He's not concerned about you getting it right. He just wants you to come to him. And oftentimes, where I start praying is the, the aspect of God that, that feels most connected to me. So sometimes I'll be praying Holy Spirit in that realm. Or I'll pray Father. Or, or I'll pray a lot of times I pray a lot to Jesus. See, there's no right or wrong really way to do this. I don't think God cares that much. And we can get deeper into this uh, another time. But, but, but Jesus, in this prayer, right, he prayed to the Father, because partially probably because it would have sounded weird for him to pray to himself, okay? So, yeah. um, there's other times where he prays Holy Spirit, right? So, so through the scriptures, all through scripture, Jesus is prayed to, Holy Spirit, Father is prayed to. And I think it's sometimes important for us to detach from this kind of God, we this and we that, which again, it's fine, but let's be conscious when we pray the who, it is more intimate to connect to Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'll say all three. You might hear me say that up here sometimes, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and then I'll pray, right? Um, we can unpack it more another time, but, but whoever your heart is drawn to and who you want, just go for it. Just pray, just pray. Um, so that was kind of a sidebar. But um, now back to this Our Father part of the learning prayer. There's a quote that I want to show us um, that's just been huge to me. See, Jesus' intent when he directed us to pray to the Father, I think he had a very strong intention. Instead of just having us pray to Dear God, or Lord Almighty, and again, that's fine. That's fine. We can pray that way. But why did he tell us to pray, Father? What was his intent? And I want to show you a quote from Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy. It's kind of a long quote, one really long sentence. He needs an editor, really, he does. He's a philosophy chair at, what, USC or UCLA. So he's a brilliant man, great writer, but he needs an editor. All right, here you go. But here's this brilliant quote um, that shows the intent of Jesus when he tells us to pray to the Father. Dallas Willard says this. Um, and could somebody pull that door in the back? Thanks, Troy. Jesus' intent was to bring his apprentices to the point where they dearly love and consistently delight in that heavenly father made real to earth in Jesus. And they're quite certain there is no catch, no limit to the goodness of his intentions or his power to carry them out. I mean, maybe we'll post that on 
Facebook this week so we can go back and look at that quote because I could read that and have read it over and over so many times. There's so much in that sentence of Jesus' intent and why do we pray to the Father? See, see, I think he's right. I think it's brilliant. I think Jesus' design is to bring his apprentices, so his disciples, that's you and me, right? His friends, you and me. He wants to bring us to the place where we dearly love and consistently delight in God our Father. That because of Jesus, we become quite certain there's no catch. <laughs> there's no catch. There's no formula. There's no, uh, get the combination right if you want me to pay attention. No, 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 there's no catch. There's no limit to the goodness of his intentions or to his power to carry them out. And that's what it means every time we say and pray, our Father, our Father, the one that we're speaking to, we begin in prayer, we focus on our Father, we remember that that relationship is so strong that there is no catch, there's no limit, there's no limit to the goodness of his intentions for you or his power to carry them out. That is our starting point in prayer. We come to a God, a Father, who is unlike what most and many earthly fathers have modeled for us uh, our earthly fathers may have modeled and imprinted stuff on us that makes it really hard to think of God as a father, but God wants to redeem that. He comes as a good father who loves you as you are and redeems all those images. His heart is for you. See, the father, God's heart is for you. His love is unconditional. And imagine how that reality impacts us if we begin in prayer that way, realizing that God's heart is for you as a father that loves you as you are. You are his dearly beloved child. He's connected to you, to your heart. He wants nothing more than the best that he has for you and he can make it happen. And I believe that's why Jesus says, when we come to pray, we focus on who we pray to, a good father, a loving father, and it will change everything when we begin to begin with focusing on that father. Now, the last thing I wanna mention has something to do with the Lord's prayer later in the prayer because we've just talked about this good father that God is, right? But if we read through the prayer, there's a line that's always been a little weird for me, okay? Uh, it's a line about temptation that comes later in the prayer. I'll read it in a second. But I want to remind you before we get there that we read the Bible in a translation, okay? The Bible was not even written, like it wasn't originally in the King James. I know there's all kinds of YouTube videos that try to tell you that's the only way you can read the Bible, but it's not true. Um, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and then translated. And the reason, one of the reasons we have so many translations that keep happening is that our language is changing at a rapid pace and we want to know the meaning of the original. So that's why these translations happen and, you know, we all have opinions about which one is better or more helpful and that's fine. But remember, we're reading translations of the original languages and the original intent of the scripture is what we're generally after. Um, and there's a line in the Lord's Prayer that can be translated a bit more clearly. And I forget which actual translation uses this phrase. Um, but it connects to what we've talked about today. Um, we see God as this good father. And then later it says, lead us not into temptation. 
lead us not into temptation. Now, think about this. That seems odd that a good father would lead us into temptation, right? And even the Catholic Church, who hangs on pretty vigorously to a lot of tradition, um, even the Catholic Church, the uh, Pope Francis, um, he sees where this line could be very confusing. And again, he, English is not his first language, right? He's from South America. Uh, and he had this to say about that line, lead us not into temptation. He, he believes that the English translation of the prayer isn't very clear. Here's the quote from 2017. He says, it's not a good translation because it speaks of a God who induces temptation. I'm the one who fails. It's not him pushing me into temptation to then see how I have fallen. A father doesn't do that. A father helps you get up immediately. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. And I was like, Come on, I, you know, Pope Francis has got some good stuff, right? He's an honest guy, and he, he loves Jesus, and he's looking to lead a very complicated, but, but it's amazing what he says here. And I believe what he says in that quote is very consistent with what the heart of the Father God is like. So he suggests, and I believe the Catholic um, writings and books are now, and liturgy is being changed this year to reflect that. Here's the line that they're going to change it to, which more accurately reflects the Greek, uh, is less confusing in, in his belief and in mine as well. Um, he says, use this line, do not let us fall into temptation. It's just a clearer interpretation from the original Greek. And there are a few English translations of Protestant Bibles, Bibles that use that translation too. And so this morning as we close, um, instead, of a, instead of a closing song, because I'm running a little behind, um, Will you stand with me? And let's pray that version of the prayer. And as we do, keep in mind, keep in mind the good father that loves you as you are, who has your best intentions at heart and deeply cares about you. We begin with that our father, and let's pray this out loud together. Our father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And do not let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen. Well, friends, uh, as our year begins in 2021, I believe a big part of what God's calling us to be is a people of prayer here at Hope. We want to be a people who love God, love others, that we follow Jesus together. And I want us to be a people who are learning to pray and listen to him so that he can lead us in that way as a community, as a church family. So as this year begins, again, I believe he's inviting us to enroll as students in the school of prayer. And I hope you'll enjoy me. Uh, I, I hope you will join me um, here on Sunday mornings in the classroom um, and Wednesday nights in our Discover group and in the classroom of prayer. And friends, let's do this. Like, let's take the beginning of this year and learn how to pray more deeply. This week, again, it was a very basic introduction, and we'll get deeper uh, in future weeks as we go into other parts of this prayer.
But as we take these next couple of months, will you join me and will we join the disciples in saying, Jesus, teach me to pray. Jesus, teach me to pray. Amen? Amen.